The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Off the Shelf gives a voice to commercial service and product companies selling in the federal market. Roger speaks to members and government officials about procurement policy, trends, innovations, and debates. Now your host, Roger Waldron. Today my guest on Off the Shelf is Larry Allen. Larry is the president of Allen Federal Business Partners, and it is that time of year. It's our look back at uh, the year that was in federal procurement 2023 and again calendar year here not not fiscal year um as well as uh, maybe a little glimpse or look at what may be coming uh towards us in 2024 but first of all Larry welcome to the show Roger thanks for having me it's great to be here we should just get dive right in i'm looking forward to this conversation um you are never um, yeah, want for a view on, <laughs> on federal procurement and what's going on. And, you know, of course, I think we should start with GSA. A lot of significant things uh, took place this year with regard to the Federal Acquisition Service at GSA. And I'm going to get your take on it as we look back to 2023. And I guess the most recent thing that was announced and actually is implementation is going to take a while, obviously, for something like like a reorganization of a you know three thousand or more person entity, but uh, GSA uh, and FAS did actually execute a reorganization, announce it, and um, have you know rearranged the boxes a bit uh, throughout the organization, and is in the process of moving forward with that. And I'd like to get your take on it, Roger. I, it is significant, as you and I both know. This is not the first time that GSA attempted to reform and recalibrate the Federal Acquisition Service. You chose your words carefully there, Larry. That's great. (laughs) Reorganize, recalibrate the Federal Acquisition Service. Uh, It is, however, uh, the first time they've ever really been able to move forward with implementation. So kudos to the outgoing commissioner, Sonny Hashmi, and his team for actually being able to pull this off. Uh, Right now, as we're putting this show together, Roger, I think that uh, not all the dust has settled yet on this reorganization. We still have a lot of people inside the Federal Acquisition Service who I think are going to be changing chairs, changing viewpoints before everything is settled. But so far, I have to give the reorganization uh, some credit because I think the idea is to have FAS be one organization uh, as opposed to one central organization with lots of regionally-based satellites. And we kind of have seen this already a little bit, particularly in the professional services portfolio, where you know, there are people throughout the country who work on professional services, whereas maybe 15 years ago, most of the people who did that work were uh, resident in Washington State. So, I'm very optimistic about this reorganization. Uh, Hopefully it will bring uh, continuity of operations that the FAST leadership wants it to bring and uh, gives the organization some more flexibility to handle workflow and things of that nature. So while I I don't think we can put a complete final grade in there yet, Roger, so far so good. Yeah, I guess, you know, one of the things I'd like you to talk about a little bit is just the, and you touched on it, the, um, breaking down of the uh, regional structure 
you know, sort of that stovepipe. I like your term satellites around uh, the earth or let's say planets around the moon. I don't know, you know, just in terms of what the regions were. They were kind of cosmic, I guess. But to me, that's one of the biggest, most profound changes with regard to the organization, breaking down that management reporting structure so that now there's a clear line of accountability in terms of how, you know, business operations are conducted. Right. And and I think that accountability is key. Everybody wants to be innovative uh, and be customer centric, but there also has to be some commonality. You know, one of the goals of the Federal Acquisition Service over the past year was to make it, quote, dead easy end quote, to do business with FAST. And that's something that the coalition has talked a lot about as well, Roger, I know. And it can be difficult for a customer or even a contractor to figure out what region they're supposed to go to for a specific service, whether it's a contracting service or an assisted acquisition service. The way the reorganization is structured, particularly in regard to assisted acquisitions, it makes it very clear where you should be going, at least for new business. Uh, Of course, that means that there are some challenges maybe in terms of forging new relationships. But again, I don't know that it's going to be all new relationships because a lot of people are shifting into the areas where they are more comfortable inside GSA. Uh, So that means that even if you're not in the same regional structure, you may still be interacting with the same person at GSA, which is a good thing. Uh, But at a minimum, you've got the organization really all on the same page in the book. And that's important. Uh, You know, different regions, They all move at their own pace. They don't all do exactly the same thing, but there does need to be that continuity of operations that the centralization can bring in. Yeah. And another thing I wanted to get your take on is the assisted acquisition service and it's moving to these apexes, which are, you know, it's no longer a regional structure. It's a client focused structure. So one of the units will focus on department army, you know, another on Navy, another on OSD, another on civilian agencies. What's your take on that restructuring kind of away from the regional structure there as well? Well, Roger, I I think that it's based in uh, a good thing. It's based in making it easier to do business with GSA's assisted acquisition offices. If you're in the Army, you have a clear place to go. If you're in a civilian agency, you have a clear place to go. I think it's going to be a while, though, before we actually see all of these changes come to fruition. For starters, there are existing projects that the legacy organizations are going to continue to handle, and and they should because they're projects that are already underway, maybe procurements that are already out. But even beyond that, I think we're going to find some things in pipelines that stay in the areas where that originally originated those pipelines. Uh, So I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in assisted acquisitions in 2024 and 2025 if we start seeing actually those shifts to the apex-like structure and away from uh, places where maybe people have traditionally done business based on either the volume of what they were buying or the type of solution they were uh, acquiring. It's supposed to happen. People always have a way, though, of kind of uh, ending up where they're most comfortable. So we're going to have to watch that. Yeah, and I think they, you know, kind of a the transition period is going to be key. And I think they're focusing a lot on that as clients will move to 
eventually to different, I guess, touch points within AAS, right? As a kind of client-based focus or the structure. Um, they're always client-based and client-focused, but as a structure sort of big, reflects that and moves things around. But at the same time, you know, with all we're talking about these changes, you know, the multiple award schedule program just kind of keeps chugging along. You know, what's your uh, sense of how things went last year for the schedules? Well, I think it was a very good year for the schedules, Roger, as you say, and it just doesn't keep chugging along. It's growing. And I think we had uh, pretty much record sales in the last fiscal year for the schedules program, $46 billion. That's before you even count the VA federal supply schedule sales. And that brings you up to, well, you would know, Roger, but I think at least $60 billion a year. And that's very significant when you're talking about a government procurement budget that's maybe 600, last year was maybe $650, $660 billion. That means that collectively the schedules program is responsible for almost 10% of all government buys. And that's pretty significant when you consider that they don't buy things like tankers and fighter jets and combat ships. Uh, so obviously the schedules program is a cornerstone of many agency acquisition methods. And I think that's particularly going to be the case again in fiscal 24. As you know, we usually see a lot of heavy duty action on standing indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity contracts like the schedule during the last couple of months of the fiscal year. Roger, I think that's just going to be more compressed in FY24 because best case scenario right now is that we're looking at a six-month fiscal year with a lot of things that are going to need to be obligated. A lot of projects get out the door in a very short period of time. So uh, I know GSA has made some changes and is making some changes to the internal workings of the schedules program. I think some of those could be very beneficial, but Clearly, this is a program that is fulfilling a critical need in the federal government. Yeah, and when we come back, because we're at the break, we'll talk about some of those other goings-on within the schedules program now that we've kind of laid the foundation. Okay? Sound good? Absolutely. My guest today is Larry Allen. He's the president of Allen Federal Business Partners. I'm Roger Waldron. You're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Larry Allen. He is the president of Allen Federal Business Partners. And we're taking a look back at 2023 calendar year um, as to what happened, some of the big procurement sort of news events of the year. And, you know, right now we're talking about GSA. And, you know, Larry, uh, you know, we talked uh, at the end of the last segment about schedules and, you know, it's chugging along still you know, a major program, you know, I think you're right. It's over, it is over 60 billion, getting close to 65 billion. If you count VA schedules and GSA schedules together, that's a huge number. Um, so it's clearly delivering for customer agencies. Uh, but there are also some issues, you know, that people are focusing on and, and some of the initiatives and where they are. And one of them is transactional data reporting. And, you know, can you just, where, where is that now? And what's your, what's your take on how GSA is progressing and, moving that uh, that program forward. Roger, I started out, as you know, as, as a skeptic of the transactional data reporting or TDR program, uh, the alternate way that companies can obtain a schedule without having to fill out the traditional uh, cost, uh, the CSPs, commercial sales practice sheets, uh, and without having a most favorite customer triggered to the schedule's price reductions clause. 
I've been somewhat of a convert to TDR over the last few years. I think it's a viable alternative now, and we've certainly seen a number of companies, smaller businesses in particular, uh, many offering innovative solutions that would not otherwise have been able to be on the schedules program if it weren't for the TDR Avenue. I know GSA schedules uh, managers would like to have the program uh, taken schedules wide. I think I support that uh, so that you've got parallel avenues depending on you know, who you are and how you want to obtain a schedule and how you can best manage it. Because it's not really about government wants to get good pricing, Roger, but if you're really uh, making it difficult for contractors, you're not setting up a good program and you're not really serving the needs of your customer agencies. So uh, I think TDR is something that definitely needs to be examined. I know that the IG's office inside GSA uh, continues to have some concerns, but you know, in my mind, I don't think the IG did themselves any favors earlier this year when they came out with a negative report because it really just kind of looked like they were blustery uh, about it and couldn't figure out whether they were more upset about the data being inaccurate or the fact that contracting officers didn't use the data that the IG had just said was inaccurate. So uh, I think you ought to let the program managers manage the program. We don't want to have the, uh, the IG as the co-program director in the schedules world. You and I have both seen how that kind of plays out at the VA, and I think it makes it much more difficult uh, for companies on that side of the schedules program. And hopefully GSA schedules management can resist that. To your point, I mean, it, I want to get your sense, like GSA talks about a phased expansion, right? And I think with like services being, you know, the last uh, frontier, I guess, for expansion of TDR uh, down the road, do you think they're going too slow, the right speed, given some of the pushback and aspects of it that various stakeholders have pointed out? What's your sense on how, how quickly it's progressing? Well, Roger, I think there are some people both inside and outside GSA who are frustrated that TDR hasn't expanded more than it already has. So you could put me in the column of people who would say, I'd like GSA to move a little bit more quickly to implement TDR on a broader scale. I don't know that we want everybody going 80 miles an hour or 100 miles an hour down the road. We do want to have phased implementation. You know, the unknown knowns are the things that you have to look about and I look for. Uh, but generally, I think that you know, this is a program that's been tested over a number of schedules now over a number of years. And so to some extent, it's a known entity. We ought to go ahead and expand that known entity in a logical progression. Right. So a part of that, I guess, in terms of one of the challenges or opportunities at GSA, the MAS program is sort of addressing is how they're negotiating or determining fair and reasonable price, right? And a lot of that now you're seeing the development of these, you know, pricing tools to actually, you know, assess, take a look at, you know, government pricing and some commercial pricing and trying to get like a sense of where the range is and what's fair and reasonable for the contracts versus the old CSP. You know, this is kind of a tool to help CEOs, What's your view of how GSA is handling that and uh, where do you think it's headed? Well, Roger, I kind of like your characterization of the tools. They should be something that helps the contracting officer 
make a sound, fair, and reasonable price decision. Tools should never supplant the people who have contracting officer warrants. We want those people to use good tools, but we don't want the tools to become ends unto themselves. And I'm a little concerned that when you use pricing tools like this, they're automated, they take out the discretion. Uh, Everybody knows that you know, the IG that I just mentioned, they're not just looking over industry's shoulder, they're looking over GSA's shoulder as well. And I think that some of that fear may cause contracting officers to default to you know, yes or no, depending on what the tool says. And I don't think that that ultimately is going to serve people well. First of all, we have to remember at the core of the schedules program is for commercial solutions. And we don't see automated pricing tools uh, as the last word in the commercial market on solutions. When you're talking about things that are easily identifiable as commodities, that's one thing. But for a lot of the other things that constitute the bulk of sales on the schedules program, we really want to be able to buy those commercial solutions more like the commercial market. So data is a great tool, and I think people ought to use it as one of the tools that they have at their disposal to reach good pricing decisions. But I don't want it to get to the point where that takes away all of the discretion and all of the training and experience that a contracting officer has. Let's have that tool help the contracting officer, not replace it. Yeah. And I guess uh, one of other thing about it that I wanted to ask you about um, is, you know, the data has to be complete in order to make, good business decisions, like the context of the, the price, right? You know, and one of the things I think that's a challenge for GSA is that, you know, price is driven by terms and conditions. Like the price for 10,000 widgets being bought at one in a transaction is going to arguably be a lot lower than buying one widget, right? You know, you get a, you get pre- volume discounts, you know, there's warranty provisions, delivery you know, terms and conditions, a host of things that drive price in the marketplace. Um, and if they're just looking at a number as opposed to the full context, I think it's, it makes it much harder to make good business decisions. Right. And I, ironically, Roger, I agree with you. Ironically, I think that over the course of recent schedules history anyway, we've seen GSA previously acknowledge differences in terms and conditions that can have an impact on the net price that customers pay at a given point in time. Just as the commercial market, however, is becoming much more price dynamic, GSA seems to be taking a step back and saying, you know, we're not going to recognize that commercial market dynamism. We're not going to uh, recognize the fact that there are, you know, pricing in the commercial world can literally be multivariable calculus. We're going to just look at and see what the lowest price was, and we're going to try and go with that. That's not in the government's best interest because it's going to restrict competition, Roger. It's going to make the schedules program less of a good business path for companies, particularly small businesses, to conduct business through. Uh, and it's not good for industry because you know industry sees that. They know they're going to get penalized for being good uh, and competitive companies in the commercial market or even with other government customers, that could have an impact on their pricing or on their decision to participate in the schedules program in the first place. 
Right. I mean, right. the context here, obviously, in part, is the the idea that 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 price is driven at the task order level as well. You know, the best value dynamic where you know agencies compete their specific requirements at the order level, and that order level price for ten thousand widgets does not equate to a contract level price that's merely a guaranteed minimum of $2,500 over 20 years, right? And the opportunity to compete. Well, and you know, that's an excellent point. I was talking a moment ago about commercial service, commercial practices for commercial items, right? So just in the schedules program at the task order level, just as commercial companies are going to be able to get the benefit of a good price given timing, quantity, you know, other market factors, so too are federal agencies going to be able to take advantage of those same market dynamics because the price really does get determined at the task order level, as you said. So I think there has to be that understanding that commercial market dynamics are alive and well in federal acquisition, but they're alive and well at the task order level. And, you know, companies are going to be competitive and offer those good discounts when markets dictate whether we're talking about the commercial market or the federal market. Right. And that's more efficient. I mean, it's definitely more efficient approach. And Larry, you know, we're up on the break, but when we come back, we'll finish up on GSA or maybe the schedules program and just touch on, you know, there's a legislative proposal out there that I think significant, um, you know, maybe a little bit of systems and then just uh, finish up with regard to Sonny Hashmi's departure and his legacy at GSA. And we can turn to some of the government-wide kind of things that happened last year. My guest today is Larry Allen. He's a president of Allen Federal Business Partners. I'm Roger Waldron. You're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Larry Allen. Larry is the president of Allen Federal Business Partners. We're taking a uh, look at uh, the calendar year 2023, what happened in the procurement world. Spent a lot of time on GSA. I want to f- quickly finish up on you know, about three different GSA items, and then we can sort of open the aperture to a government-wide kind of focus, Larry. So first of all, I know, and I know you track this a lot, like what's going on system-wise at GSA, you know, and investments being made in their like catalog platform, GSA Advantage, um, and elimination of SIP. Just where that, where is that, first of all? Well, Roger, I think where they're rolling out, GSA is rolling out gradually new tools that will replace the SIP program. I think uh, industry is probably thrilled with that. That's something that GSA was working on, oh, over 10 years ago, and they're finally getting the technology to do that. The idea, I think the bottom line takeaway for contractors, Roger, is if you're on the schedules program, GSA expects you to have updated, dynamic, current, GSA Advantage listings, and you do yourself no favors. If you uh, don't have that, you can run the risk of having your contract canceled. So go out and use those new tools. Right. You know, it's going to be evolution or more or revolutionary change in a certain sense for GSA to move away from SIP after all these years as the platform to load data. Um, Another another issue, um, just real quickly, I want to get your take. So there is a legislative proposal that um, has you know gone through OMB and is you know and it, it is a GSA legislative proposal up on the hill, and that's to change some of the statutory language authorizing the schedules program. As you know, Larry, the 
uh, underlying statute says that the schedules are considered a competitive procedure under SECA, the Competition and Contracting Act, if the contracts or orders are open to all sources, which they do through continuous open seasons and e-buy and all the transparency, and those orders result in the lowest cost alternative to meet the government's needs. Now, the proposal is to change lowest cost alternative to best value. Yeah, what's your take on that? Roger, I think this is a, a good change. I give uh, kudos to GSA, particularly Jeff Kosas and the acquisition policy team for uh, devising this. I think traditionally the SECA language on lowest overall cost alternative has always been properly read to understand starting a new procurement from scratch, thing, uh, lowering your acquisition overhead, things like yeah, that. Total acquisition cost kind of thing. Right. right? But I, I think that uh, as we go through time, some of that background and context has been lost and you've had people uh, maybe internally in GSA and outside of GSA saying, well, you know, this isn't the lowest overall price. Well, that's not what the SECA says. It says cost alternative. Uh, so I think that uh, this removes some ambiguity, uh, still keeps the core intention of the original SECA language for the schedules program intact. And I uh, hope that Congress will act on it quickly. Right. Well, you know what? Best value. What is a fundamental element of best value? It is price. But it, best value makes it clear that it's lots of other things as well. And I think it is a clarification of really the total acquisition cost approach of the lowest cost alternative language, which I think you rightly say some people just interpret it as what's low price. It's not low technically acceptable price. That's not what the statute says, but this this would definitely clarify it. And I think it also reflects what we talked about in the last segment is that, you know, value, best value and pricing and solutions is, are driven at the task order level by agency specific requirements. And, you know, that's where the rubber meets the road, um, not at setting the lowest possible price period at the contract level. And in fact, that would actually reduce competition, reduce innovation and reduce access to the commercial market. And I think, the best value language, you know, basically brings, you know, really is a 21st century approach. And I think it creates a lot of opportunity to actually enhance and improve um, and deliver even greater customer agency support over time. The last uh, GSA item is, uh, you know, as you mentioned in the, um, in the first segment, you know, Sonny Hashmi, the FAS commissioner, you know, is leaving GSA, um, you know, if you have any thoughts on his departure and the legacy he has left at FAS. Well, Roger, you know, Sonny came from a technology background, as you know, CIO previous to being the commissioner, at least in terms of his federal service. Uh, but he always had a lot of energy, always has a lot of energy when I've ever dealt with him on big strategic plan issues. Uh, when, as commissioner, he was able to, I think, pick up a lot of the work that was begun that's not particularly glamorous, but important to the running of all of GSA's acquisition programs in terms of updating and improving their internal automation systems. Uh, he's also shepherded the reorganization of FAST that you and I talked about. He may not have been a detail-oriented commissioner, but he had people for that, frankly, uh, so, you know, from a strategic planning level, from a, a visionary level, and certainly somebody who was willing to sit down and listen to what industry had to say, I'll give him good marks. 
It'll be interesting to see what happens. You know, fast, I think Roger is going to be in very good hands with Tom Howder, who's, you know, acting now as the commissioner, will be acting at the end of the year. Uh, you know, Tom, top 1% president, rank employee, career, senior executive service guy, certainly knows the ins and outs of uh, the FAST program. As you know, that position as a commissioner can go either way. It can be a political, it can be a careerist. For the bulk of our careers, Roger, it's been a, a careerist position, but lately the pendulum swung back. So I don't know at this time in the Biden administration if we can expect to see a nominee or anything like that. But regardless, uh, I think, you know, Sonny uh, really kind of put fast on a new uh, platform to march along in the 21st century. So kudos to him. And I think Tom and his team will be there to carry it through. Yeah, I think your point's well taken. When you think about the bones, the structure of FAS, whether it's systems or just the management organization, the changes, you know, the progress that's been made in both those areas are significant and positions FAS very well for the future moving forward. And that's to credit to Sonny and his team um, and their vision and, and the implementation. So moving forward, but let's now let's turn to some, we got about two minutes left in this segment. You know, we can start some uh, government wide sort of thoughts and, the first one that I wanted to get your take on is just the recent announcement from OFPP and OMB of the Better Contracting Initiative and sort of your thoughts on what they're focusing on and, and what it means for uh, government and industry. Well, Roger, I think the Better Contracting Initiative is interesting for a number of things. One is the timing. We're pretty much three years into the president's term right now. Uh, you have to know, wonder how much momentum there's going to be from a political standpoint to implement this across all federal agencies. This is usually the type of thing you would expect to see in the first half of a presidential term. Uh, so, you know, we'll have to see uh, how that uh, plays out. The other uh, macro issue is uh, the delineation between some of the strategic plans from the Better Contracting Initiative, like enterprise-wide software licensing versus small business market participation, which has also been a hallmark of this administration's acquisition strategy. Those two seem to be in conflict with each other, Roger, and I'm kind of wondering how it's going to play out and how that's going to impact decisions at the line level, price, enterprise-wide versus small business and other socioeconomic goals, there's going to be something to unpack there. Yeah, it'd be interesting. And we do, we are, to your point, we're up on the break, Larry. So when we come back, we'll continue to take uh, uh, a look government-wide at what's going on and uh, continue our conversation. Maybe we'll go to sort of the GWACs and the tail, you know, of the tape with regard to NASA Soup, uh, COSP4, you know, Alliant 3 just issued another draft, you know, Ascend BPA, those kind of these government-wide things that impact everybody. My guest today is Larry Allen. He's the president of Allen Federal Business Partners. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today 
is Larry Allen. Larry is the president of Allen Federal Business Partners, and we're talking about 2023, the year in review. Hey, Larry, just before we go to, like I mentioned, the GWAX, you know, NASA Soup, CSB, SP4, you know, Alliance out there, Polaris is out there. There's a lot going on last year that's going to go into this year. Just a real quick thought, you know, the first prong on the uh, better contract initiative, again, is that use of data and using data across agencies to make better buying decisions. Again, I think data contexts can be critical to that in terms of what, you know executing and making sound business decisions. Roger, I, right. And I, I think there's a tendency in government to always want to collect more data. And I think one of the questions we want to ask ourselves is, is government making good use of the data it already collects? It's not so much the data you collect it's how you make the use of it. Are you giving the acquisition professionals the time they need to analyze and make use of the data within that proper context that you're talking about? Are you using the data and its richness to look beyond the bottom line, or are you just looking at the end of the spreadsheet? So I'm not sure that merely gathering more and more data is the answer to a better procurement outcome. It's using all of the tools that are at your disposal, understanding what it is you're looking at. And if you're going to look at data, which I think is always a good thing, you ought to analyze something below the last line of the spreadsheet so you know better what it is you're looking at. Yeah, and also, you know, you're always looking backwards as opposed to forward and you're looking at data you've already collected. So that'd be interesting to have you shake that out. But back to government-wide stuff. As well, in terms of the GWAX, you know, there's a lot going on. We have NASA Soup that's uh, been out in draft once. Um, we have uh, Polaris that's ongoing back on in terms of the procurement. We have COSP4, which has been through the ringer a few times on protest. And I think his, you know, award may be coming up soon. Um, you got an Alliant draft RFP that it's out there that you got. People asking about, you know, Ascend BPA for cloud services off the schedule and where, where that's coming. There's a lot going on there. Yeah. Well, hey, how do you sort it all out? Or, you know, it's, it's been kind of a, I want to say a tough year for GWAX, but I guess it's fair to say it's been a tough year with all the protests and delays and things like that. Roger, it has been a, a tough year uh, for getting new GWAX up and running. Uh, Polaris, probably one of the leading candidates, along with CIOSP4. You know, that program alone from NIH was responsible for a discernible upward trend line on contract protests at GAO uh, this year, you know, kind of on its own reversing a year-on-year trend towards lower protest actions. And then we've seen some on Polaris, which, of course, itself was born of protests that sunk the Alliant II small business program. Hopefully we'll find this year we turn to awards. You know, ironically, as soon as NIH gets CIOSP4 awarded, they're going to have to get the product-based program CIOCS back on track. That's going to be coming up for recompete over the next year or so. Uh, so it never ends. But I think all of this actually, why are we doing this? Why do we do this? Well, we do this because once you get the contracts in place, they're amazingly efficient and popular ways for the government to buy a wide variety of services and products from pre-competed contractors who've already been vetted to be responsible and responsive. So it takes a while to put these contracts together and a lot of money and frankly, more than it should. 
But once they're up and in place, they are efficient and favored ways to do government acquisition. You and I have seen statistics, Roger, that show, depending on what it is you're buying, government makes over 50% of its acquisitions in certain market segments from GWAC and indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity contracts. There's a reason for that. It's that once they're up and running, they work. So hopefully we'll see Alliant 3, which has a very short time frame uh, to get up and running. We'll see that proceed. Uh, hopefully we'll get Oasis Plus awarded, another big GSA, GWAC, uh, coming up. And I would urge people to remember, you know, you can kill the goose that lays the golden egg. So while you certainly have the right to protest, I'm not a big supporter of frivolous protests. And if government acquisition shops tell you that this contract is not meant for new market participants, go ahead and take them at their word. There are plenty of other ways to do business with the government. Yeah, we will see how those shake out. And I know I will say, like, you know, in the case of all these programs, they're they're pretty open and transparent, providing a lot of opportunity to review drafts and provide feedback on their acquisition strategies. I think it's a positive thing. But one of the things all these contracts are going to be sort of implementing through the years, perhaps, is cybersecurity, evolving cybersecurity requirements. And if I could say anything, like 2023 begins the year of cybersecurity that's going to go all through 2024 and actually beyond that in terms of implementing whether it's CMMC, SBOM, software bill materials, software attestation, there's new FAR clauses that are in the process of public comment. Boil it down, like from a fundamental perspective, you know, what, what cybersecurity is, and in your take on its increasing importance. Roger, with cybersecurity in, in terms of being a government contractor is just foundational now. You have to have cybersecurity capabilities. You have to understand what the requirements are for different levels of government business. But at any level, you're going to have to show that you have at least basic cybersecurity features baked into your company's operations, that you meet minimum standards on how you uh, ensure that you have a secure organization for how you deal with breaches, what the notification requirements are, things like that. You're going to have to have your cyber house in order if you want to do business with the government. And the flip side of that is if you don't, there's going to be a host of would-be whistleblowers out there that hold you to accountability. So if you sign on the dotted line and say that you meet these standards, if you meet the NIST standards, for example, you better make sure that you actually meet them because if you don't, there can be a significant compliance downside to that, not just from whistleblowers, but you could have your contract canceled. Uh, You could find yourself uh, out of government business. So Uh, If you haven't started looking at cybersecurity investments as a contractor, you're definitely behind the curve. You know, you mentioned CMMC, which is a DOD program. But as you know, Roger, the Department of Homeland Security is well into launching its own parallel program. Is it going to be the same as DODs? Of course not. That's all the more reason why contractors have to stay up to speed on how cybersecurity is evolving but it's going to be a basic requirement that any type of company is going to have to bake in. Yeah, you know, and I was actually looking at a DOJ, new DOJ clause on cybersecurity that looked, you know, I haven't dived 
done a deep dive, but look very different than what DHS is doing versus what DOD is doing. It seems to me some rationalization across the federal enterprise would be appropriate on this. Makes sense from a business and actually from a security perspective, I think. Well, right. And I think in some ways you're finding that government agencies are being reactionary to what's happening in the market. You know, we know that there are you know, thousands of potential cyber assaults every day launched against government websites. So uh, it's not surprising that they're going to go out and try to, to forestall bad things from happening, but they're doing it in a very piecemeal approach. Hopefully, uh, we'll be able to harmonize those at some uh, level. You know, Congress could get involved. I'm not sure if that's needed. Congress doesn't necessarily have the most precision when it comes to this type of thing. But uh, there does need to be some harmonization across the board so that contractors know what they have to do and they uh, are getting consistent guidance from agencies regardless of who they're doing business with. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And I guess the last quick comment, yeah, let's say we got 35 seconds left and it's too big a topic to like to even we could do a whole show on the budget. You know, what's in your crystal ball? What's going to happen? We're going to have a good year long continuing resolution. What, what do you see happening? Roger, I'm hopeful that we're not going to have a year long continuing resolution, particularly for the Department of Defense. I'm hopeful that we're not going to see government shutdowns in the end of January, the beginning of February. But as we do this right now, I am not overly optimistic. I think we have more of a chance for at least part of the government operating on a year-long CR than we have in quite some time. And if you're a contractor or a government agency, you definitely want to see what's coming out of Capitol Hill and follow it closely in January and February. Yeah, and that, you know, that, you know, continuing resolution sequestration that has a huge impact on, you know, making investments for the future. And I specifically think about the Department of Defense and, you know, warfighter capability, you know, when you're just funding operations at a level that's consistent with last, the previous year, you're, you know, you're not investing in capability. So I'm going to see how that plays out. Right. You're not investing in capability and you're not arguably doing the best job you could to meet needs as they exist today. Yeah. So, hey, well, Larry, on that, you know, pleasant note, I guess we'll end the <laughs> show. And, uh, you know, we can look at uh, what's going on 2024. I'll have you back, uh, you know, in real time when things are actually, whether it's the cyber rules or whatever. Thanks for being on the show, Larry. Roger, absolutely. And, of course, you know, I think both you and I know, Roll Tide. Hey, it's Roll Tide, yes. Big game coming up. Uh, we are tied parents right that's so we it's are. roll tide roll so anyway um yeah have a great uh, holiday and uh, and i'll see you in the new year my guest today has been larry allen he is the president of allen federal business partners i'm roger waldron and you've been listening to off the shelf on federal news network you've been listening to off the shelf with roger waldron of the coalition for government procurement on federal news network tune in tuesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on itunes or podcast one